Father, this morning, um, we're going to continue forward, Lord. We continue pushing and pressing until we draw closer and closer and closer to you, God. Father, though it may seem repetitive, God, Lord, let it be so until we make it so. Let us continue to practice unto perfection, Lord. Bring us discipline in our discipleship, God. Father, that we may grow closer to you and so that others may know you. Lord, we give you all the glory this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Amen. I'm going to be a little bit repetitive this morning, uh, but that's okay. And I'm going to get to that here in a second. But isn't it awesome to see the little ones praise and worship? I, I really, um, and some, some of y'all remember when I pastored at First Assembly, every once in a while y'all see Reese up there. And I kept thinking, because I've been to a lot of churches where I've never seen that, and I kept thinking, somebody's eventually going to tell me to get my kid off the stage, you know. She would be about three, about three years old, maybe four years old, and she's up there with that microphone in the middle of worship on a Sunday morning. Whole church would be full. And, you know, we didn't have it turned on, but just including her, including her along with everything that we were doing, you know, Remember, those, there's those times, even as uh, boys, we grow up and we play war because what? We emulate what men do. Girls, they get on there, they put on their mom's shoes, and they emulate what their mom does, right? Is it so different to be Christian? At some point, we raise up our kids. What do they want to be? Well, they want to be a version of us, maybe even a better version of us, right? They see what we do. They see us worship. They see us stand up. They see us give reverence. They see all these things, and then they emulate us. So we include them. Why? Well, obviously you saw that microphone isn't hooked up to a wire, and it's not a wireless microphone, but that's okay. She's going to give it all her heart. She sees that she's in front of you. Do you know that they say that the fear of being in front of everyone and speaking or anything like that, they say the only thing more scarier than that, this is true, is death. <laughs> Can I tell you, maybe there's a lot of people that have never yet taken the things that God has maybe told them and shared publicly because they're scared of being on the platform they're scared of having to face someone and yet we will teach at this small age how to stand up here on the platform and embrace the lord that it's okay to worship it's okay to praise the lord it's okay to get up here and sing it's get up here get up here and dance it's okay yeah it feels awkward it's okay like i get it some of us aren't really great at dancing that's okay god loves your dancing the same way you loved your kids when they danced yeah it didn't make a lot of sense that's okay. I have old videos. Reese would be so mad if I pulled them out. Old videos of Reese singing songs about unicorns and all kinds of weird stuff. Can I tell you, I loved every one of them like they were blockbuster hits. Right? And so did you when your kids would sing a song. And so did you. Do you think the Lord is any different? Come on. Where do you think we get it from? We inherit the trait from our father. So it's good. It's good to have the kids up. It's good to have them singing. It's good to have them participating. And mind you, remember this, their eyes are upon you. That's a responsibility we have as adults. Their eyes are upon us to learn. People's eyes are upon us to see how we behave. How do you behave in public? Do you sing and praise the Lord? Do you give praise and honor where glory is due? Do you do that in front of your friends? Do you do that at work? Do you do that? I'm telling you right now, when you start, I, I'm just as somebody who I am fortunate to work in a place where there are plenty of people who believe in the Lord and who trust in the Lord and who speak highly of the Lord. 
and they give praise where praise is due. We're going through some things over the last couple of months where we've been breaking financial records at our job. And can I tell you, they don't look at that as an opportunity of look at us get rich. Every time that we talk about it, the first thing they say, well, you know, it's because the Lord has his hand upon this place. They all give credit to where credit's due. You know that the reason we're seeing success is because we're believing in the Lord that the Lord's going to bring success. You know the reason we're going to have success is because we've built this place upon the power and glory of Jesus Christ. We built that first in here that this was going to be the way we were going to conduct business. We were going to do things honorably right before the Lord. You know that's why the hand of blessing is upon us because of the Lord. And there's this constant turn back to that. Now listen, even when times weren't like that, you know what they would say? It's going to come because the Lord is going to bless this place. And if we continue to work and give honor where honor is due, God is going to honor that. And they just, they just continued on. Listen, it's no different than in our houses. It's no different than any of those things. This is what we teach and train. This is how we should act. This is the things that we should discuss. We should act like this in public. It, it, I'm telling you. I've seen people have their whole lives changed just by the little things that we say and do and just by how we act in our own personal lives. We have a hope that few do. Amen. Oh, let's wake up this morning. I said, we have a hope that few do. Amen. Come on, I'm Pentecostal. It's time we start acting like it. So, but I am going to be really repetitive today. If some of you, maybe you're here for the first time. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor Jim, you talk about this a lot. That's okay. You know, Gerald Brooks once said that uh, uh, any, time, any truth worth telling is worth telling twice. Let me say that again. Any truth worth telling is worth telling twice. You need to remember truth. That's why you remember scripture, right? You don't like, well, I read the Bible once. That's good. No, we continue to read the Bible. Why? So that the truth is embedded within our hearts, right? And I was thinking about this, you know, just the repetitiveness of continuing to try. And we tell our kids all the time, right? Keep trying. If you struggle, if you fail, it's okay. It's okay to fail. Get back up and keep trying. Just continue to try. Continue to get up and, and try. And I, I remembered a story that I wanted to share with you. I've always thought it was interesting. And some of you I've probably told this story too it's, I, as I heard it. It's about a man named Michael Blake. And Michael Blake, you, you probably are not going to know his name uh, uh, because for the longest time, he was nobody. He was a guy who continued to try to write books, and he could never be successful. He would come up with these crazy ideas. He liked all these different genres, anything he could write, and he would try to write, and he just couldn't get it done. Nobody would publish him. Nobody would even look at him. And he had a few famous friends to his fortunate uh, 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 life, is, and he leaned on some of them, and he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get some of this stuff looked at. Would you take a look at it? And the, the guy looked at it, and he was like, yeah, it's not good. That's why you're not getting any help, because it's not really good stuff. You haven't written anything that's good. And he's like, man, what are you talking about? You know, you know what? Hollywood is just like this. And he said all these bad things, and it gets his buddy really mad. And he says, listen, I don't want to hear it from you anymore. Don't bring me anything else then. If you don't like the true, honest opinion, then don't. Well, you know what? At a lot of people at that point would probably quit because that's what we do when it gets hard. That's what we do when we fail over and over. Well, maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe this isn't the Lord's will for my life. We quit, right? But no, what does this guy do? He's repetitive. He keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps back up and he keeps trying and he keeps, he keeps trying and trying. He eventually writes something. He sends it back to his actor friend. And, and, the, and the actor, he's like, hey, have you read this? He's like, no, I haven't read this. Because last time I talked to you, we were kind of angry at each other. I don't want to read it. He says, like, I'm begging you. Listen, man, I'm, I'm washing dishes at this Chinese restaurant. Uh, and I, 
I'm trying my hardest to continue to try. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same things. I'm working hard. I'm, I've taken your criticism. I'm, I'm continuing and continuing. He's just trying. He's really just doing the same thing. And he's working on it and working on it, getting better at it, right? His actor friend finally relents and says, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll read it. And when he reads it, he's astonished. He's like, oh my gosh, this, what you just wrote is great. You might have heard of it. They made a movie about it. It was called Dances with Wolves. He would go on to win an Oscar. Kevin Costner would put it on. It was incredible. And the guy obviously quit washing dishes. Right? But we kept trying. And listen, at some point it just begets like, listen, I keep doing the same thing and the same thing. Listen, I get doing the same thing and the same thing and continue to fail. It's called insanity. I get that. But what happens when you succeed? Is it insanity any longer? Some truths are worth repeating. Some truths we're going to work at and work at and work at. And even though we fail at it and fail at it, it doesn't mean they're not worth trying. It's not, it's not that it's not worth trying. It's worth it. The truth of the Bible. There are things, discipleship, disciplines that we learn as disciples that we cannot lay back on. We don't, even though we might fail at it, we don't just go, we don't get a pass that goes, you know what? I keep trying, but I'm failing. That's crazy, so I'm just going to quit. That's dumb. There are disciplines in the Bible created by Jesus, given to you to practice. Doesn't mean you're always going to succeed. By the way, one of the things that I'm flowing into, I think I'm going to do this as a web series or some other type of deal, but I've had on my heart this idea, I've shared it with a few of you, no more like excuses. How many times I hear excuses out of disciples. By the way, you wouldn't be the only one to make one. One of the ones that I've had off my mind is, is like when Jesus talks about prayer to Peter. Like, Peter, can't you stay up one hour? Like, Peter's like the ultimate failure for prayer. Hey, come with me. Come with me in my private time. Remember, what do they ask uh, Jesus? Well, how do you pray, Right? But when Jesus goes, okay, well, let me show you, right? So he takes him. Can you imagine this, by the way? Let me show you. They takes him back out. All right, stay up for the hour. I'm going to go watch me. Listen to me, okay? And then he comes back. You're already asleep. You, you're the one who asked. Not like I didn't say, hey, you should come watch me pray. Let me invite you into my private closet where I go pray with the Father. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. They asked Jesus and then fell asleep. When he said, okay, think about that. We have all kinds of excuses as well. Like, well, I'm not really good. Well, I struggle with, well, we have all kinds of excuses in the world. But I I love that Jesus doesn't let us out of our excuses. Wake up. Pretty, pretty. I love how Jesus is like that. It's not sympathetic. Hey, could you, could you guys kind of like stay awake while I'm praying, please? No, no, man. Jesus is like, can't you stay awake for one hour? What's wrong with you? Right? He's like your mom, right? (laughs) In that sense. I can't stay awake. All right. And, 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 and listen, I'm not, I'm not here to berate anybody this morning, but as we talk about this first side of it, it's really so I can get to the back end. And I think we need to understand that Jesus does want to teach us how to pray. He does want to teach us the secret. And it is a secret, by the way. That's the great thing, man. Ears that can hear will hear this morning. Let's begin a little bit this morning. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. Like I said, you kind of feel like it's the same drum, but we're not going to linger here. But we do have to talk about it because it sets up where we're going. This is not the subject of today, but it is where we're going. And it is in the same context by which Jesus preaches on prayer. Matthew chapter 6, we'll write in there in verse 1. 
If you're there, say amen. Mm, now we're moving in our Pentecostal roots there. It's a good one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they'll ever get. But when, I, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now listen, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly and on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Let's stop right there. So there's a lot of things here that get our focus. But for today, I'm just going to focus on one principle, and it's the process of private versus public. All right? Private versus public. And then, and then we're going to talk about once we talk about the private part and getting that straight and understanding why the private, we're going to talk about how that works once we get in there. All right. Jesus says, if you're going to give something that you do it privately, not for show, just so everyone can see you do it. He says, if you're going to pray, do it privately and God will reward you publicly. Let me say it again. He says, pray privately and God will reward you publicly. It's simple. He intentionally calls out those that only want to be seen in contrast with those who want to give and pray privately. Jesus asks you to trust. Trust him that he sees you and that your private life with the Father will be publicly rewarded. You won't have to worry about the reputation you might receive by being seen because God will reward your life or make your life appear in such a way that others will already know it without you having to say it. Now, here's the trust part, right? You have to trust that that is going to happen. See, at least when you pray out loud and you know people have seen you pray out loud, you at least know they saw you. You know, there's, a, there's no faith involved in that. There's faith involved with trusting that the Lord's anointing and the Lord's presence will be seen by others no matter what they know about you. Whole, whole another set of trust. Obviously, God values a quiet space for both of you. He wants to have time with you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to be disciplined, right? He wants you to trust him more fully. And Jesus isn't uh, the first to bring this up. Matter of fact, we've heard about this idea or this concept uh, according to King David. Psalm 91 verse 1, you don't have to turn there. This is from the New King James. It says, he that dwells in the what? Most of you know this, right? The secret place. Where did he say to go pray? Go play in the quiet place. In the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Where is the protection then? When I go away to pray in private in my secret place, where, what is happening there? God says, well, that's where my wings are. That's where protection lies. And I need you to trust me there. Right? If you never find a secret place, if you never find the private life of prayer, how will you ever know the protection of God? The perseverance of God. How will you know these things? 
David referred to it as this. Jesus said this, go away to yourself. Shut the door behind you. Go to this place in private. Maybe this is why we find David being a man after God's own heart. Because to the person that can discipline themselves to the secret place, God is waiting there, waiting to, with protection, waiting with reward, waiting with instruction, waiting with blessing. And to those that can give themselves to prayer in private, think about how powerfully they'll be in public. By the way, you don't have to believe me. Don't take my word about this whole private prayer thing. And I know I beat the drum of, of Matthew 6 a lot about trusting in the Lord and not letting other people see your works. By the way, that's biblical, but I still beat that drum. Um, because I find it very uh, challenging, I guess, maybe in this today's culture for church. Uh, but listen, think about this. This is not like new, right? It's not in public that Isaiah says, hey, come clean my lips, Lord, I will go, right? It's where? In private. It's not in public that God came to Ananias and said, hey, I'm sending the man Paul, the murderer Saul, to your house. Uh, I need you to pray for him. Ananias didn't take him outside for everybody to see, did he? No, nobody knew Ananias was a man of God except who? God. Some of us haven't been dispatched to a God-sized movement yet because God hadn't seen you in the private place yet. Think about Elijah. You think the rain stopped all by itself as soon as he said rain stopped? No, it stopped in the prayer closet. I mean, think about Mount Carmel. You know where Mount Carmel began? Not on Mount Carmel. It began in the cave when Elijah says, I'm all alone. He says, you're not all alone. I'm with you. I'm with you. Not only that, there's others with you. You can't see them. They're not out on the streets making their prayers public. They're not out there bragging about how Christian they are, Elijah. You know what they're doing? They're in the secret place of the Most High. They have found that my protection is not upon the government. My protection is upon their house and my hands upon my people. And so when he walked out there and he says, Let it, he prays a little bitty tiny prayer on Mount Carmel. Let the fire come down, God. Well, you think that's just, I mean, like, why can't we pray like that? A lot of times because our private prayer is not great. I remember a pastor who once said, powerful, short public prayers are the results of long intercessory private prayer. Isn't that the truth? People who are so powerful publicly often have a huge, powerful life privately. And you don't get to see that. That's not what you get to see. You get to see the result. That's all you get to see. You don't see the work that gets put in. You don't see the, the discipline that happens in private between them and God. This is the promise that Jesus is clearly talking about. But it's not easy to get there. Actually, it's hard. Uh, a lot because we're self-centered. We say it's a time issue. But let's just be honest. Uh, we just need to admit that the reason we struggle in prayer is because we don't want to pray. That's pretty as blunt honest as I can be. We don't like praying. Praying takes up our time. Our time that we could be doing the laundry. Our time that we could be going shopping. Our time that we could be drinking coffee or eating breakfast. Our, 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 our time that, that we'd rather sleep in an extra hour than get up and pray in that hour. Right? And then when everything goes south and everything goes bad, we come back to the Lord and cry, God, how could this happen? Well, it's pretty easy because you decided it was going to happen. You decided not to pray in the morning. You decided not to uh, discipline your life in a way that would teach you to trust me and have faith in me. So now that you live with worry and anxiety, which I love the pastor who said anxiety is nothing but temporary atheism, which is true. 
this is your result. When people come to me worried and they come to me with anxiety and they're like, how is it you could stay so calm? Because I pray. I know Jesus. There's no way you can just stand and walk side by side with Jesus and be a friend with Jesus and feel really all that scared. It's just not. I mean, Jesus, you know, I don't know if you've noticed when you've read the Gospels or if you've read the Gospels, but there are times where it says he's walked in the middle and they all came to like choke him out or throw him off the cliff and he just like walked out. Like it was nothing. I don't know about you, but I don't react like that. (laughs) But Jesus, no care in the world. Why? Because he prayed. He was powerful in prayer. Powerful in prayer made his public life powerful. You got to equate the two. You want, and you want less anxiety, less stress in your life. You want, you want uh, to be blessed. You want, the hand, you want the favor of God upon your life. Well, listen, you, can't, you don't get to have God's hands without his heart. And too often, too often, that's really what we want. We don't admit that, oh, no, I love God. No, you don't. You love what God can provide. You love security. You love uh, blessing. Nobody loves it when, when their life goes wrong. Nobody, who loves getting a spanking? But sometimes a spanking is the best thing for you. Uh, adults already know this truth. Because there are some of us, as you've grown older, you already know, praise God, my dad beat me. Or I would be a horrible individual. I would be fired from every job I have. I would be a spoiled, rotten person that everybody would talk about, maybe not too. But discipline helped us become better. Nobody likes God when he's like that. We don't want God. We don't even want to envision God like that. We just want God to be this happy-go-lucky guy who never has a bad day, who always wants our day to be its best day, right? I could, I could really preach there. I'm going to stay away from that. And the truth is, is this is, this is how we, we, we struggle. And what Matthew 6 exposes really is that we really love attention. Uh, we created social media. So that we all could be famous, not just the actors and movie stars and singers, right? We created this, this whole social idea, right? We want a good reputation. So we create social media in a way where we can make you believe whatever we want you to believe. We can write all these nice things. We can put up all these nice pictures. And, you know, we created these filters that we can make our face look way better than it really is. I saw a post the other day of people with makeup on and without makeup on. Women, you should be ashamed. It was so much, I mean, I was like, this cannot be the same person that's from the left to the right. Photoshop, you should be banned. But this is it. We've created all these things to make things look better than they are. We love attention, and we all want a good reputation. We want people to think better of us than we maybe really are at times. It's just the truth. We struggle with this. We struggle with faith. We struggle with trust. We struggle with security and insecurity. We struggle with these things, right? That's why discipling or being a disciple, is, is discipline is required. It's required. You have to practice something over and over and over before you get it. Some of the ladies came to my house this week. They complained that my font was too small on the bathroom wall where you sit down and go to the bathroom to read the scripture on the wall. But scripture was on my wall, wasn't it? Why is that? Why is scripture on my wall? So that I can memorize it. So that I can hear the promises of God in my life. Because at 45, I still need those disciplines in my life, right? And now I'm trying to teach my kids how to have those disciplines. At 45, I'm not too ashamed to say, I don't know all the scriptures in the Bible. (gasps) I know, pastor, what kind of pastor are you? You haven't memorized the Bible yet? Listen, I've only memorized the King James. I'm still working on the rest. 
Not true. Not true. Although most, I think, what I have memorized is King James. But it's discipline. You practice these things. I'm going to tell you right now, too, a little secret about myself. Nobody, as a, as a pastor, nobody in here probably wants a good reputation like I do. So maybe one of the reasons I beat this drum sometimes about Matthew 6 because it's I need to hear it. Because as a pastor of a community, I feel even more so compelled like, well, Lord, how are they going to know that I'm the pastor if I don't say I'm the pastor? Jesus goes, how about I just send people to you? How about, will that work? How about, how about you just trust me that if you'll pray and you'll give and you'll do these things in private, how, how about you just trust me that I'll work the pastor thing out for you? How about desire me more than the name pastor? Hmm. All right, that's enough, God. My heart hurts, right? I don't want to pray anymore because you say mean things. And he's like, it's things you need to hear, son. And I'm like, I know, you're right, you're right. But this is why we avoid the prayer closet, too, because we know that he's right. We know he is. So we, we, we struggle here, right? And so this is kind of the task we're supposed to be, man. We are supposed to be a people who have privacy, intimacy with God. With God. There's no other way. This prayer is created, right? We have to have a secret place where we get away and it's just us and the Lord. I, my mentor, he's so good at this. One of the great things he does every year, I'd love to emulate this, is he, he takes off like three days, three days and two nights, and he will literally go get a hotel room two or three hours away from where he lives lock the door, unplug all the appliances and TVs, pull out his Bible, and lay on his face for three days. He sleeps and reads and writes for three days with the Bible. None of that is to preach. Every bit of it is for vision, direction, and, and uh, hearing from the Lord about what the year's supposed to be, about what, how he should lead his people. He's, he's trying to, to go before the Lord, shut out all the distractions, and just hear God. Can I tell you, he does that every year since I've met him. I've known him for 20 years now. I don't know you, but I don't know many people that were doing that in their 30s. But this is something that he became a discipline in his life. Amen. That's how we have to have that. We have to have a discipline of creating a private place, a secret place where us, there's just us and God. And, 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 and here's the thing. What happens when we get there? And that's really the meat of what I want to talk about today, but I couldn't get there without going here. First of all, as a disciple of Jesus, you have to have time with the Lord. That is not... Um, Subjective. No, that is a standard. That is mandatory. Can you be even Christian without praying? I would say not. How did you become Christian in the first place? You had to pray. You had to ask the Lord. Talk to the Lord is nothing but communion. At some point, you pray. Some of us don't pray as much as we should, but at some point, I guarantee you, you're praying. Uh, a lot of you pray like teenagers do uh, when you're in trouble. And, and that's, that's basically how a lot of us pray, like, oh, Lord, help me get out of this situation. My bill's this, blah, 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 blah. Something else is happening. Oh, my kids are da, 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 da. It's usually, it's usually in form of, like, fear, right? But I promise you, wouldn't it be nice just to, you, you ever just want to, like, it's like, a, I, I love having conversations with my kids, especially when they're not in trouble. Because there's, like, we're just talking now to get to know each other, and it's just this easy conversation. There's nothing weird where I'm having to, like, discipline or be the tough guy or anything like that. It's just like, hey, how's your life going? Oh, it's so good. Okay, great. You know, God wants that with you. God wants that with you so bad. And, and so 
Jesus sets up the beginning of Matthew 6 in a way. He says, listen, all right, well, you're going to be my disciples. You want to know how to pray. So first of all, let's do this. Find you a place. I don't care where it's at, right? Some of you have seen the whole movie. What is that? Uh, War Room? Yeah, yeah. Same, same premise, right? They, they got it. Everybody knows it. I'm not teaching something revolutionary here. You know that you need a private place where you can pray. And if that's at your bed, that's at your bed. If that's in a closet, that's in a closet. If that's underneath the stairs, that's underneath the stairs. It, wherever that is, there needs to be a place where you can pray. When I was at First Assembly, I'd get there at 7 o'clock in the morning because work started at 8. I didn't believe that I, get, I don't get paid to pray. Prayer is what every disciple does. Pastors don't get paid to pray. Don't ever say that. That's not true. That's not true. You get, you get paid because out of the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ, because he sees fit to send you a people that feel like this is what you deserve for the work that you're doing. Praise God. But nobody, nobody pays you to do the work of the Lord, man. The, the, the payment that you get for doing the work of the Lord is the joy of the Lord. No mistake about that. No mistake about that. When you're following in, in, the, in the will of God, you get the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord, you can't put a price tag on that. But nobody gets paid to pray. So I'd get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd pray from 7 to 8. And man, I'd spend some of that time, like 30 minutes of that time would be all in prayer, which let me just be honest, the first 10 to 15 minutes was literally while I'm closing my eyes, being convicted of my own sin. And here's why. Because I couldn't pray in the first 15 minutes. I'd always think about everything I had to do that day. So it had to be at least 30 minutes of prayer because after 15 minutes, I'd be crying and apologetic to the Lord that I just wasted his first, the first 15 minutes of our time together thinking about me. So I apologized for the sin of selfishness. And then the next 15 minutes would be like New Jerusalem you know, stuff where like I'm just like thankful because the Lord would never discipline me and he would never say, you know what? I'm so ashamed that you come to me with all your laundry list of stuff. No, the Lord would say, listen, it's okay. Quit beating yourself up. And then the Lord in my prayer would go, okay, now let's get to work. Let's talk. What's going on? Well, Lord, this is going on. Da, da, da. And the next 15 minutes would be heavenly. And then I'd get to the end of it. It's like, all right, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of your word here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote some of this time to just studying your word real quick. And he's like, dude, I'll talk through that too if I need to. And so I would sit there and I'd read a scripture. And then I'd begin to write all this stuff about scripture. And I'd spend an hour every morning doing that before I ever showed up to pastor. Can I tell you, I still do that today. I keep a journal with me everywhere I go been writing all the prayers i've been praying down for everybody else i've been trying to make this journal a journal of intercessory but that's my own personal thing going on listen that's not just for pastors this is the disciplines of a disciple this is what god's called you to do and so all of this we begin this repetitiveness of talking about matthew 6 this beating this old drum listen it's in context with where we're going because what happens once we get to the secret place? What happens once we get to the private place, right? What do we say? How do we talk? How do we approach the Lord, right? Look back at Matthew 6, verse 9. We're just going to continue on. God, Jesus didn't stop there, right? Now, we've stopped and we've talked a lot about this part of it. But really, Jesus is trying to get to this. And I'm going to be in the New King James for this. It says, in this manner, literally, verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray. So he, I'm just stopping right there, but I'm coming back to it. So he talks about, listen, make sure that your motives are right when you pray, right? Find a place in secret. Make sure your motives are right. You're trusting in me. You're believing in me. And now this, in this manner now then, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. So he sets up the idea of make sure your motives are right when you pray. Find this private place between us. And when you go in there, listen, this is not the prayer we pray. This is a model. He's giving us a model by which to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Pray like this. And let's break that down because I I, I really want to show us how this is a guide and not necessarily just something that we say every once in a while, like maybe taking communion. Uh, It's not something that's just uh, uh, like he wants us to exactly say it verbatim. It's really just this model. And so it starts really simple, really easy. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Which leads us to this. First things first, we have to acknowledge that he is the father. We have to acknowledge that he's the creator. He is holy. He is righteous and he is just. We must acknowledge God in this fashion and place God in his rightful seat as Lord and ruler over you and over all of the earth. Again, David knew this because of his intense moments with the Lord in Psalms 100 and Uh, 100 verse 4 he says enter his gates with thanksgiving go into his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name if prayer starts anywhere it starts here by praising his name we give honor where honor is due we talk to god but we also give reverence to god we respect him we acknowledge who he is that's important Anytime you approach the throne, make no mistake about it. When I approach the altars, I approach them fully well knowing who I'm talking to. It doesn't mean I come up to my father scared, okay? I never, as a child, I never went to my father in fear. But can I tell you, my father could put me in fear. (laughs) Let me disrespect my mother and see what happens. Then the next thing he says is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. He's saying we must submit to God's rule and reign over our lives and over this earth. We must understand that his way is the better way. And since we've been corrupted by sin and God isn't, his way is better. His way leads to life. Jesus modeled this. He spoke about it in John 6.38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We have to learn to submit here. This is where the trusting in the Lord comes from that he's talking about in the very first what we read. If we don't develop that trust, we we will not develop the fullness of the abundant life. So Matthew 6 starts out, it's trying to teach us really trust so that when we get into the prayer closet, the things we say, they can be fully trusted that God hears them and he will act upon them. Sometimes that's no, but that's okay. At least he acted upon them, right? And if we don't follow like that, if we don't follow God and believe God and trust God here in his will and trust him that his will is right, we risk losing the joy of the Lord. And listen, there's a big difference between the joy of the Lord and happiness. Happiness I have found in my life is fleeting. You know, I can be happy for about an hour. You know, you ever notice you're always happy when you're riding down the highway, but let that cop turn around? 
Everybody knows that gut feeling, right? When the cop turns around, you're like, I'm not even speeding. I, I, <laughs> anxiety starts to sweep you instantly, right? <laughs> but the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord can't be taken away. No man can remove the joy of the Lord. Next, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And what he wants to teach us here, that there's only one that, that provides. There's only one way that we, we have provision, and that is through God alone. Everything comes from God. All that you need, everything. If we fail to recognize that, then we've already missed the point of praying altogether. Yes, we need food. I get that. But not more than we need God. We need certain things in life. I understand. But we need God more. Jesus explained it like this in Matthew 6, 26. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to Him than they are? I think it was Charles Spurgeon that says, God loves you more than the angels because you, He gave the power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your responsibility, not even the angels. the truth you are God's creation he loves you he will provide for you trust him again first part see where it comes in all the time right this is what Paul learned through prayer this is what he learned through his experiences you don't have to believe me you can remember in Philippians 4 19 y'all know this one right my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus how many of you claim that one before right oh God will meet all my needs according to the glory of riches Christ Jesus I don't have to worry about anything. I can stand on that promise. That's what Paul did. He stood on it. You're going to find that out a lot. Paul and Jesus, they just go hand in hand. Like he just trusted him. He just believed, right? And right after that, Jesus moves on and then he says something really hard to me. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Mm. All right, Lord, we were good up until this point, right? We must come to God with forgiveness in our hearts. Are we face finding no forgiveness at all at the altar? Truth. Jesus included this in his prayer because this is crucial. Because it's something he knows that we struggle with. Because one thing is for certain in this world that you are going to meet people and find yourselves in relationships that will hurt your heart to the core. Now, when I was around teenagers, good night. Whoo. Adults are vindictive too, don't get me wrong. It's just teenagers. I think they got the they got everybody beat on that then. You turn your back on a you, you stab some of the teenager in the back, dude, you're that's death for life. That's when they start sounding like the mob, you're dead to me. Right? But here's the thing, you must learn forgiveness. It doesn't just it listen, it's not about the other person, it's about you. You must learn to forgive. Jesus promised in Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. What? Now Jesus ties your forgiveness with him to your forgiveness with others. That's not even fair. That's not fair. That's, our, I think, our instinct. Lord, they did horrible things. By the way, I don't think we... Uh, it's funny how we view ourselves. We never view ourselves as the villain. But let's be honest. At some point, you are the villain. And you need forgiveness too. We never view ourselves as the bad guy. I wonder if any bad guy ever views themselves as the bad guy. 
I think they always justify themselves in some way or fashion. Well, I grew up like this, and this because I grew up like this, it somehow justifies what my actions were going to be. No, 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 no. You make your own decisions, whatever they are. If somebody told you a secret, you decided to gossip that, that's all on you. Well, you don't understand. I was trying. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter. That's on you. We have to forgive. Paul reiterated this over and over. When he wrote to the Colossians, listen, this is why you know it was like a church problem, okay? Like, know this, that we aren't the only ones that struggle with that. Paul went to Colossians. He goes, okay, this church is struggling with some forgiveness issues. So Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, right? He goes to Colossians like, hey, these guys got a problem, right? There, there's a lot of forgiveness issues. And then he's like, wait, let me leave Colossians right now. I'm going to go over to the Ephesians. Let's see how that church is doing. He's like, oh my gosh, there's spiritual warfare going on here. Not only are they struggling with spiritual forces from the outside, it's beating them up on the inside. So Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Let go, right? That's what he's saying. Let go of it so that you can function and move in the joy of the Lord. Let go. Forgiveness is only holding you back when you don't forgive. Let go of it. So in, in the prayer, Jesus says, listen, make this part of your prayer that you learn how to forgive. Like make that part of your daily prayer life. Lord, help me to learn to forgive. I need this on a daily basis to learn to forgive so, Lord, I can receive the forgiveness you've given me so I can walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Next thing he says, and do not lead us unto temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Make no mistake about it, church. We will face temptation. We already do, right? But through prayer, we can overcome the devil and all things evil and sin related. God knows what you can and cannot handle. Amen? He does. He knows you better than you know you. He made you. He might have the warranty still, right? There are no returns. That's not how it works. The Apostle Paul found this one thing to be true in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What did he say about God? He said, God is faithful. God is faithful. Well, how can you know that if you never pray? If you decide to always be a public about everything, how will you develop the discipline of understanding and knowing that God is going to be there, that you can trust God if you do not develop the quiet place? That's, that's why you're going to struggle with the God is, is God faithful part? Well, I struggle with that. I struggle and I worry if God's going to show up in this moment. I know, I know because you don't, you don't walk with him enough or you choose to only walk with him when it's public and convenient for you to look good. Now, if you did this on a private basis all the time and you were constantly seeking the Lord when nobody else knew it, you would develop this thing that's just between you and him. And what will happen is you'll start to walk in a way that other people will notice. And you'll be like, hey, man, how is it that you're so strong in the Lord? People ask me this all the time. I go, well, you know, uh, all I had was a bunch of older people tell me how to serve Jesus. And can I tell you, and, and, and as a guy who's not gray-haired yet, uh, because I, I call them the gray hairs, all right? The gray, they're gray hairs of my time. You know what they taught me? You need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. 
And you know what else you need to do? You need to pray. You need to have a prayer life that you need to find a place in your house. You need to pray. Put scriptures up on the walls to help you figure that part out so that you understand scriptures. That way, when the devil comes or when you need a lift up in life, you can recall that scripture because you've been looking at it all week. Right? So if you could just do these things and give God praise. When God does something great, give God praise. Listen, Joy's grandfather, he invested that into us. And a lot of the little old ladies there at the church, they begin to invest that into us. Can I tell you, I was 20-something years old, but that made sense to me. And I was on fire for Jesus. And so I listened because these people had been saved for 20, 30 years in the church. And I held them to high esteem. And so this was their advice. And you know the one difference between me and anybody else? I just listened. I just did it. Can I tell you? Best advice ever. Turns out the old way is still a good way. <laughs> it's still the good way. Can I tell you, it, it, honestly, probably 98% of the people that come to me with counsel issues or anything else can be solved by that. How great, to me, that's so crazy. Like, like half of your worry and anxiety in life, if you just read the Bible and had a prayer life, be gone. It'd be gone. Like, like you, you wonder how I can walk in, in, in happiness or I can walk in the joy of the Lord, how I can uh, walk free of these anxiety and try to function and work through these things because I have walked with the Lord so many times through stuff that at this stage of the game, I, man, I got scripture upon scripture that I can call to my heart and remind myself who God is. But the main struggle when it comes to people and fear and doubt is because they really don't have a relationship with the Lord. They have a relationship with church. Mm, that'll preach. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So temptation comes, and they're scared, and they run. Sometimes when they should fight. To me, there's only two things I ever do. I run, or I hold ground. Sometimes, or not, I fight, and I hold ground. But I don't run. I don't retreat. I'm not giving up ground. I'm not doing that. I'm not taking two steps backwards hoping that I can hold the line there. No, I'm holding the line. To my death if I have to, but I'm holding the line. I, was, like Paul, I love how Paul said, there's times where we advance the gospel. Paul went into places and he got beat up. He got uh, snake bitten and, and everything else under the sun. And he got whipped and everything. There's a time to advance the gospel, even if it costs me, right? And then there are times where Paul talks about, and when there's nothing else you can do, when you can't fight at all, what do you do? I stand. And I will not be moved, right? I love the, uh, the, the, the Cheyenne uh, 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 culture where they have the dog soldier, right? So that's how I picture that, where if you, hadn't, if you don't know what the Cheyenne dog soldier, I've talked about it here before because I love that kind of stuff, but he takes this leather piece of leather and he ties it around his waist and then he takes a stake and he stakes it into the ground and he goes, come at me, I'm not moving. Stakes himself into the ground. Can I tell you, if that ain't a picture of the warrior of God, I don't know what is. I stake myself on the word of God. Now, come on. I'll take it. Come on. One thing's for sure, I'll die being staked to the word of the Lord then. But I'm not giving up ground. I'm not giving up souls for the Lord. I'm not giving up things when the kingdom, when God promises on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not doing it. All it takes is Discipline. All it takes is getting up and being repetitive. When you fail at it, oh, I struggled to get up this morning. I struggled to pray this morning. That's okay. You know what? Do it this evening and then get up in the morning and try again. And if you fail, get up and try again. There's no condemnation in those who love Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, God's not going to condemn you. There's never going to be a time that you're going to pray in the morning. He's like, failure, loser. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. The only thing holding you back is you. You will, you will, you will win. 
You can defeat this in Christ. Not by your own strength, but by his. Listen, I kept getting up, I kept getting up, and I kept doing it. And let me tell you something, it's not because I wanted to. I felt compelled to because Christ was pushing me to. Because every time I didn't, I call it holy guilt. I call it the power of the Holy Spirit within me going, you know you need to, you know you should, you know what you desire, and you know the road it takes to get there. And if you want to take your desires and you want to see the road at the end, you've got to push yourself to get there. I'll be honest with you, I'm scared to death about doing this mountain thing in June. I have to go face some fears. Fat guys don't climb mountains. <laughs> and those last 1,400 feet is going to be what they call the chute. It's going to be like a 30-degree angle. i got to put these spikes on my boots and an ice axe. This is, might be the dumbest thing I've ever done. But it's definitely going to be the hardest. And as scared as I am, I'm going to treat it like I've treated Christianity. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up there and try. I'm going to try. Because I'm going to tell you right now, not trying, that's easy. That's easy. I cannot try and never experience the summit. Oh, you want mountaintops, but none of you will climb. You want blessing, but none of you will pray. You want the favor, but none of you talk with God. You want things from the Lord, but what you don't want is a relationship. The only thing He wants. That's crazy. Lastly, for yours is the kingdom and power of the glory forever. He is the first and he is the last. Oh, we start by praising and we finish with praising. We begin by praying and recognizing that God is ruler over heaven and earth and by praising his name and we have to finish in the same fashion. What we bring before God is always covered in the recognizing to whom we bring things to. Who is God? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lord. He is Jehovah Jireh. Some of you need to do that study. You, you don't even know the Hebrew names yet. Can I tell you? There, you'll go through, you, every one of us need to go through the phase of Christianity, right? Those names where you just get into, like the whole year you're into all the names of the Hebrews. Like the whole Hebrew names of God. You like know all, all of them. And you're like saying them all the time in your prayer. like, And then that, that phase kind of phases out. And you already know this information now. That goes in your toolbox. And then you pick up a new phase where it's all spiritual warfare this year. So you've got like 50 million books on spiritual warfare. You've casted out every demon on earth. And, and then that phase is kind of over with. That, that's a toolbox thing, right? And then you go into this next phase of your life. Like, like I, we take for granted discipleship. We really do take it for granted, our discipleship process, like how that works in your life. Can I tell you, like, I, I, it makes me miss uh, when we lived in Washington and the pastor would come up to us and go, hey, man, I need you to help us. We're going to go cast out devils. And there was a lot of them in Washington. Uh, that's what happens when it rains a lot. Devils start coming out everywhere. That's why we live in Texas, Amen. <laughs> God made Texas. <laughs> but I, I, I remember that time being so great because the pastor called us like, we're going to go lay hands on people and we're going to release devils right out of them. And I saw amazing ministry at times. And then I love the times where I was highly evangelistic with my pastor and Terrell. Hey, we're going to the bar. We're grabbing Paul. We're going to jerk him off the seat and just throw him in the truck before anybody notices anything. <laughs> okay. You know, naive in your 20s, thinking you're going to do something awesome for God, you know. 
Here we are going into the bar, yanking people off seats and throwing them in the truck like we're kidnapping them. <laughs> Casting the devils out of them. <laughs> and, and, and I have no regrets, you know, going to Joy's grandfather's church and them going, here's what it's going to take to be saved. And then they'd speak like in tongues like 20 minutes over me. I'm like, I don't know what, what did they just say? Is that God? I mean, because I, at first I didn't understand Pentecost very much or how the Holy Spirit works. So I would just be like trying to figure all this out. How does this work? And then I would listen to them and all their advice. And they had a lot of advice for a 20 year old. And, and I would listen to these things and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Listen, I, 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 don't, I don't take any of it for granted. It would lead me on to guys who would go, hey, I see something in you because you've practiced the things that all these people who pulled you alongside them and showed you because you've become a practicer of the faith, right? I see the call of the faith upon you. Mm. And then through the call of the faith, other men started saying, wow, you already practice the things that you're supposed to be practicing. Do you know how rare that is? No, y'all are the ones who told me to do it. I thought that's what we all do. Do we? I was naive. I didn't grow up in the church. I thought we all did what they tell us to do. Like, well, they, they told us to pray. Y'all don't, y'all don't go home and pray. Oh, I've been saved for 20 years. But, that, but, but the guy up there has been saved for 20 years, and he's saying we should pray. Y'all, y'all, don't, y'all don't do that? I think, I, was, I think that was probably the one first time I became cynical of the church. Like, how do y'all? Like, like in a little bit, or like, Y'all are the ones who tell me to get saved, to tell me to go be a disciple, and you, you don't do any of the things? Like, that's such a struggle for me. I just did what all the people who had been saved for 20 years told me to do, and guess what? It led me to salvation. It led me to Jesus. It led me. And then you find out that there's some people they've been in the church 20 years and they ain't never done any of it. What? Rick Warren called it perpetual immaturity. They're one years old for 20 years. They know just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to really be known by the devil. Leonard Ravenhill called that. says, that's when you know you're doing right. Peter was known by the devil. Jesus was known by the devil, and Paul was known by the devil. And when you're doing something right, so will you be. So will you be. You start bringing fear to hell, you're doing a good job. God is the first and the last. This is our model, Right? So we start out, and I know it's repetitive, but we start out in this place where we go in secret. Jesus makes a big deal about it. He writes a whole eight verses. Big deal about it. He starts out. He doesn't even give you the model yet until you understand the privacy part of it. All right, this is the private life you need to have. And when you're in private, this is what you say, right? So it's not only uh, where to go, but it's also what to say, what to pray for. How to pray. These are things that should be coming up in your prayer life. This is only the model. You build upon it. Make it whatever you need it to be. But it should resemble somewhere in there. It should have this kind of flair to it, right? This is just your beginning of prayer. This is where I want you to start out is what he's saying. As a disciple of mine, if, if, I, if Jesus is going to teach you, he's saying, okay, find this private place. Keep your prayer life something like this. Let it line up a little bit like this, right? I'm going to give you this as a little nugget of truth, as a little sermonette, right? And then you're going to take this and develop your prayer life out from this. And if anything, I think the apostles can testify from, and I think we can too as the worship team is coming, is this, that prayer is real. Prayer is real and prayer works. Make no mistake about it. I remember uh, uh, Pastor Crabtree of the Assemblies of God who came up and said, 
uh, uh, all these young men today worry that they pray and nothing happens and they pray, should we continue to pray even if nothing happens? He goes, you keep taking people to the hospital, but more people die in the hospital than anywhere else. So why wouldn't we keep praying? We take people to the doctors all the time. We take people to the hospitals all the time. They can't fix everything. Listen, we walk into places all the time like that and we still go. What, what other hope do you got that's greater than the hope of the Lord? And this is where we're at. This is the power of prayer. This is the, listen, a city that's changed. When, when Elijah comes and he prays and the whole fire comes down, the whole nation is changed. When Jehoshaphat begins to pray in repentance, the whole nation is changed. When Hannah prays for a child, the whole nation is changed. When Daniel prays and Nehemiah prays, they change their circumstances, right? Daniel would go on to pray, uh, uh, and eventually the whole uh, exile stuff starts to change, right? Esther comes in, and all this change begins to happen. But it all started in prayer. It all started by people who talk with God. That's where it all began. There's power in prayer. And the reputation of a praying people will come straightly from God. There's power. And one thing you're going to come to this uh, realization really quick. We're a people made for prayer. Prayer is not just some, uh, this, this uh, hotline between us and God, too, just where we ask for the things we need and pray for the people that need you know, help. And it's also the place where we can be ourselves, where the you that God created, God can see, and he has no condemnation, none, nothing but love and grace, where you're never rejected in the place, in the, in the place of prayer. You're never rejected. Think about that. You're always accepted. In a world where children just want to be accepted, and they're making up all kinds of names, and they're fighting for just any kind of acceptance they can get, right? The one place where you can always be accepted is on your knees in the secret place of the Most High. Amen? Let's give glory. We started out by praising, and we're going to end by worshiping. Amen?